This podcast episode is brought to you by the generous support of Aaron, Marissa, Etiosa, and John. Thank you guys so much for making this podcast episode possible. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, just go to anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks and click on support this podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, this is a bit of a different episode. I'm actually replaying a uh, an indie author spotlight that I did. Man, when was that? That was uh, a long time ago. I can't, I can't even remember when, when I did it. I think it was last year sometime. Uh, but from a good friend of mine, Matt Brown, uh, we became Twitter friends. And then he uh, ended up, uh, he's an indie author who's writing an awesome book. And he's like building this whole like fantasy world. It's super cool. So definitely check him out. At Matt Brown 012 on Twitter, at Matt Brown 012, and it's Matt with one T, so you can check him out there. Or he's got a website, a writersthoughts.com, so check him out. This is, like I said, uh, a sample of, and I think he's actually developed this book a little bit since uh, since I narrated it. Um, but still, nevertheless, a very cool story. And uh, the reason we're doing a, another indie author segment um, that I've already done before is because um, I have been very busy lately. So we just finished up the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes and I'm working on the next book. Uh, so sorry we're not able to start it this week, but um, I will definitely be getting that ready to go for next week. Um, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, I think you're really going to love the one we, we've picked to do next. I'm super excited about it. I think you're going to love it. Um, and I already said that, but I said it again because I really think you are going to love it. So now without further ado, I give you a sample of Matt Brown's Valkyrie. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of our Indie Author Spotlight on Another World Audiobooks. I'm super excited once again to be able to bring this to you. This is not a normal episode. Normal episodes get published on every single Sunday, but we, uh, I'm, I've been <laughs> so enjoying doing these indie author spotlights in the middle of the week where I publish some bonus content that you guys can enjoy and uh, get introduced to the works of a new author. So this may not be your normal genre, but I hope that I'm introducing you to some new upcoming indie authors that you want to connect with and, um, you know, just help support them. That's what this is all about. We are a community, and that is why today I'm introducing you to my my new friend Matt Brown and his book called Valkyrie. Now this is a very special treat because this hasn't even been published yet. But I came across Matt on Twitter and he was gracious enough to allow me to read this to you guys as a, a, just a sample of his work so you can kind of get a taste for what he's doing. You can find all his stuff at a writersthoughts.com and I'm definitely linking all his things along with his Twitter at MATBrown012. Uh, so definitely go check him out on Twitter and uh, his blog. You can find a lot of his work there. He's uh, He publishes blog blog posts of uh, different chapters of his uh, of his books and they're they're really engaging I've really enjoyed reading it so far so I hope that you guys enjoy it too so yeah we're gonna get the first two chapters today we'll do the next two chapters the next day and then probably about three chapters on the on Thursday so hope you guys enjoy this make sure to go and support his stuff and uh, check him out thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the first two chapters of Valkyrie Valkyrie by Matt Brown narrated by Brady Smith Chapter 1 The screams of the dying echoed around her as soot, smoke, and ash permeated the air. It was stifling, choking her every breath, and brought tears to her eyes. Her armor was coated in blood, her face splattered in it like Jester's makeup. Some of it had dried in her hair, matting it, soaked through to the scalp. She had lost count in the slaughter, the faces of the men, women, and children all blurring together. It was a warrior's trick. A way to distance yourself from caring who fell to your blade. But amidst the din, a cry went out, 
one so sharp that it parted the cacophony of violence raging around her. She turned, focusing on its source, her eyes narrowing on a small hovel just a few steps away. Stepping inside to investigate, the cry was coming from underneath a woman, covered in blood. Carefully, she turned the woman over. Her eyes were rolled back in her head, and mouth open in a twisted mask of horror. The source of the sound was a small child, laying underneath, covered in its mother's blood, its birth cord still attached. Somehow, the child had survived, at least for the moment. She gripped the hilt of her sword, staring hard at the infant, its cry slowly becoming the only thing in her ears. She knelt, drawing her dagger from its sheath. Their orders were absolute. The child suddenly stopped crying, turning to look at her. It reached out aimlessly, its tiny fingers grazing the dagger that she was holding so close to it. In that moment, something gave, like a dam holding back a flood. It was overwhelming, rending her heart. She could see the faces of the dead, their accusing stares glaring hatefully at her. The screams of the dying were like the shrill shriek of a night flyer, echoing over the din of the battle in search of his next meal. The pain grew, like a sword thrust into her gut. Before she realized it, she was running, the sound of the dying growing silent once again. The cool night air bit into her, the snow threatening to pull her down while she cradled the child close to her breast. The night seemed to swallow her as she ran through the wood, the sound of battle slowly fading forever. Idra awoke in a cold sweat, her heart pounding furiously. It was the dream again, and even awake, she could still see the accusatory stares of the dead. Quietly, she slipped from the bed, donning her robe and crept out of the bedroom. She stepped into the hall, stopping at the first door on her right, and gently turning the knob, peered inside. Frey was still asleep. She whispered a quick word of thanks to whatever spirits or immortals that might be listening. Idra knew how loud she could get when the nightmares came. Frey had roused her several times because of them. It had taken most of the night to get her daughter back to sleep because of the commotion. A wave of relief set in. Frey hadn't woken this time. Five long years, she whispered. Five years since she had deserted her commission and the band she served. Five years since she had sworn never to take a life. That life is long over, she reminded herself. The few years were hard, but they had made it. In the cold wilderness of Sokoros, nothing came easy. Still, the villagers were kind folk, happily helping through those hard times. Everyone in the community always pulled together, ensuring no one starved. She, in turn, always grew extra for her neighbors, and they reciprocated, supplying whatever they could. Unable to sleep, she made her way to the hearth, putting some water to a pot and bringing it to a boil. Tea would help her relax. It was a rare commodity so far north, but she had found a way to make it grow. It became an incentive of sorts for the community. Once she shared her secret with the village, traders began to visit regularly, paying a good sum just to get their hands on a few pounds of it. It was one of the few plants she had grown that survived long enough for her to produce a decent yield. The familiar whistle of the pot tore her from her thoughts, and carefully taking a cloth in hand, she poured herself a cup. Mama? A familiar voice called. Eve returned and smiled. What are you doing up, little one? She asked. Her heart melted at the way Frey rubbed her eyes as she trudged closer, more so when her daughter wrapped her arms around her. I love you, Mama, she said. Idris set a cup down and scooped the little girl in her arms. Oh, my little sprite, I love you too. Ejar vigorously rubbed his hands together by the fire, the bitter cold biting at his fingertips. Arold was late, of course, that was no surprise. Any time he was sent ahead for supplies, there was always a delay. An inn would have been preferable, but the village was too far out of the way. Yulva started laughing. 
Honestly, Eajar, you couldn't make it more obvious you aren't blooded? Eajar curled his lip. Forgive me for not having ice water coursing through my veins, he said. Or perhaps it was your mother who spread herself for a frost giant. He shifted his weight, barely avoided her knife as it landed just inches from his inner thigh. Carry a jar, or you might find yourself among the list Yolva has robbed of their manhood. A dark smile crossed the woman's face in response. Eajar shuddered. He knew just how cruel she could be. He looked across the campfire's flames, amusement written on Bodvar's face. You shouldn't encourage her, he commented. And you should mind your tongue, Eajar, Bodvar replied. You've only been with us for a year. Eajar bit his lip. Bodvar and his rules. The band was very strict on what they considered respectful. In his case, he was an outsider, neither blooded or born in Sokaras. Well, isn't this a pleasant sight? Eajar looked to his left to see Arald step into view from the snowy tree line. I hope you didn't spend all our money on women and drinks, Bodvar grumbled. Arald held his hands up defensively. Take it easy, Bodvar, he replied. I may have spent some of it, but you should see what I found. Errol took his pack off, pulling a small pouch from the top pocket and tossing it to Bonvar. Bonvar opened it, eyes wide in surprise. I believe we may have found her, Errol said. Eajar felt a chill, one that made the cold air around him seem warm by comparison. Each of his bandmates' eyes changed, becoming almost murderous. Did you see her? Bonvar asked. No. But who else can grow tea under these conditions? Then perhaps we should pay this village a visit? Yolva chimed in. Eajar locked his jaw. The smile on her pale face was frightening. It was obvious what she intended to do. Eajar, I think this detour would be a good lesson for you. Bodvar said, turning to look at him. You get to see what we do to deserters and traitors. Mark it well, and remember, you are one of us until you breathe your last. Hey guys, welcome to the next bonus episode in our Indie Author Spotlight for the week. So grateful once again to Matt Brown for allowing me to read this and share this with you guys. I'll tell you what, I'm really digging this story so far, so I hope you guys are enjoying it. If you are, make sure to hit up Matt on Twitter and on his website, and those links are down in the description below or also at the blog, and let him know that you're enjoying this. I know as a creator myself that nothing makes me happier than hearing from people that enjoy my work, so just go pay that compliment to Matt. Uh, he's doing great work over there, putting his heart and soul into it, and uh, yeah, I think it'd be awesome if you told him that you heard about this on Another World, and uh, yeah, let's spread the love. And again, if you're tuning in and you're like, what the heck is going on here? Where's Treasure Island? Don't worry. Treasure Island will be back again on Sunday. But we're doing these indie author spotlights in the middle of the week. Just as some bonus content for you guys. So thanks so much for listening. And uh, without further ado, I give you the next two chapters of Valkyrie. Chapter 3 Wolf stepped into the lodge. The grand hall was just as he remembered. The hearth across the room was larger than life, with great logs that Shuet had no doubt hauled in from around back. He looked at the banners hanging from the rafters and smiled. Two arrows intertwined with the longsword. It was their standard, one that had made the rangers well known throughout Sokoros. His own hung on the far wall, along with Shuet's and Eric's. Shuet hung higher than the rest. This was his lodge, after all. It was a simple warhammer with a bushel of white fern standing behind it. The banner itself was blue, and dye not easy to come by this far north. Eric's was a staghead. The head was black, and the banner a drab grey. Eric was always one for simplicity. Judging by the faint smell of roast bear, he was in the kitchens. You always were the best cook I ever knew. 
Wolf turned to his own banner. It was red, with a wolf's head emblazoned on it. He never wanted one, but the laws of the rangers were absolute. All the leaders were required to have one. He glanced at the tables. There were ten in the central area, with two more up the stairs at the far sides of the hall. Judging by their placement, Eric must have brought them in. They were meticulously placed and evenly spaced. I bet I could get a tailor's thread and wouldn't find them a centimeter off. It was strange to see so many had been brought in. No less than twenty rangers ever sat here at evening meal, if that. As it looked, the hall could fit eighty-four. Shewitt was up to something. Wolf, have you been my old friend? Wolf turned to face Shewitt. He'd grown fat, though he was sure that wouldn't impede his prowess with a war hammer hanging from his belt. Hints of grey showed in his friend's beard and hair. I've been well, old friend. I see there are more trophies than I remember. The broad smile on his friend's face said that he was still fit enough to hunt. I can't take all the credit, Wolf. We help the townsfolk as much as they help us. Shewitt replied. It was true. That was their way. People came from all over Sokoros and beyond to the lodges scattered across the country. Trackers, hunters, and bounty men. These were just some of the jobs the rangers did. In Sokoros, trade was the currency. Abroad, gold was the price, and a high one. So why are the tables? His friend's face grew grim. I've sent out a calling. Wolf thought his heart might stop. You did what? This is beyond absurd. Well, there had to be a reason. It still didn't change the fact of how stupid a decision it was. Shewitt held his hands up and stepped back. Wolf, please, calm down. You know how the other Thrawn will react to a calling, he replied. We aren't an army or the Blades. We hold allegiance to no one. Our neutrality between the ruling Thrawn is what allows us the autonomy we fought for centuries ago. Wolf, shut up and listen to the man. That was definitely Eric. Wolf turned toward the door leading to the kitchen. Eric was just as tall as he remembered, but looked as if he'd gained a bit of muscle. He was dressed plainly, but wore an apron, his pale white skin a telltale sign that he was blooded. The blue tribal paints normally adorning his face and arms had changed. The paints were a practice among the people of his village. Wolf read the markings and bit his lip. He's in mourning. Don't even utter a word about it, Eric said, his white frosty eyes hard and empty. Wolf nodded. So why has this decision been made without me? We couldn't get a message to you. We had to send one of our own to track you, Eric replied. The laws state we only need two for a ruling in a crisis. Wolf looked to Shewitt. Crisis? Victor has called the Thrawn together. He has also requested the druids and rangers be in attendance, Shewitt explained. Wolf felt the hairs on his neck stand on end. How many are coming? All of them, Eric chimed in, taking his seat at the closest table. He is claiming that he has made a discovery that will benefit all Socorings, and that this time the entire country stand united. With him as king, I assume. Victor had been trying for years to find a way to make himself High Thrawn, a title the warlord made himself. Everyone knew he sold White Fern to whomever would buy it, distilled or not. We are certain that's his motive. He's already expelled every ranger from his domain, Eric commented. He's even taken my lodge. Eric slammed his fist on the table, an audible crack sounding. Wolf winced. It was hard not to imagine a man's skull breaking under that fist. Eric was what his own kind considered pure. Their ancestry in relation to frost giants was the strongest. Pure were rarer than the blooded themselves. 
Wolf looked at the markings on Eric's face. Victor had done something else. He wouldn't be wearing those over the lodge. Where's Yalva? She's never far from him. Don't tell me Victor killed her. You'd better keep the thoughts your face is speaking to yourself, Wolf. Eric warned. Shewitt sighed, drawing their attention. Back to the matter at hand. They are all going, and so are we, but not before the calling is complete. There aren't enough seats for a calling, Shewitt, Wolf commented. Even my own rangers are under contract. Thulum was very specific about keeping an eye on the giant's movements. We will work on it. The village council has allowed us some leeway, Shewitt said. You don't honestly believe Victor can pull this off? Shewitt glanced over toward Eric. Wolf looked between them. Even with the warmth of the hearth, the room suddenly grew cold. He stole Yolva from me, Wolf, Eric said. The way he spoke was as if she were dead. The new process for distilling white fern, it affects the mind, but won't kill you. I don't even know. There were tears in his eyes. The bastard used that cursed plant on my only daughter. Wolf took a seat across from him, bile rising in his throat. We can tell the Thrawn. They'll band together and stop him. No, Wolf, they won't, Shewitt chimed in. Think about it carefully. We benefit the most from a divided Sokoros, our freedom, our autonomy. We can work for anyone, regardless of allegiance. They would see it as us trying to keep them divided for personal gain, Wolf replied. They would, Shewitt said. So, we have another plan. Wolf's eyes went wide. We aren't an army. We're barely three hundred strong. No, Wolf, you misunderstand, Eric said. The calling is to inform our brothers of the truth. The rangers are our family, and one of our own has been taken. Eric, you can't. Eric stood, grabbing the table and tossing it across the lodge. He rushed Wolf. Even at seven feet, he was fast. Wolf was hefted from the floor, his eyes meeting with Eric's. He's taken my daughter into his chambers, Wolf. She believes she's in love with him, he screamed. Don't tell me what I cannot do. Wolf looked where the table had landed. It was irreparably broken into pieces. Eric, he said. Put me down, now. Eric paused, looking down at his stomach. Wolf softly tapped his knife against him. Stop this, both of you, Shewitt shouted. Eric suddenly let go and started toward the kitchen. Wolf caught himself, managing to keep his balance, and put his knife away. I'm not going to listen to anyone, Eric said. My mind is made up, Shewitt. It was hard to watch. Eric's mind was made up. Shewitt, you can't let him do this. His old friend reached out, placing a hand on his shoulder. He's the only one who can. None of the other Thrawn are blooded. As a pure, he'll be hard to stop, and the only one capable of killing Victor before he can use his new concoction on them. What if he kills one of the Thrawn in one of his rages? It will mean the end of us. Honestly, killing Victor will end us. No, it won't, Shewitt replied. Wolf's eyes went wide. You won't. We have no choice, Wolf. We will forswear him. This is too much. All record of him ever existing will be erased. His name can never be spoken. His successful contracts and achievements burned. There wouldn't even be a grave. It was worse than death. I refuse to take part in this. You don't have to. The vote was cast, Shewitt replied. Eric is doing this for us and Yorva. When it is over, we will claim we had no idea. 
I would tell the Thrawn that he had been acting strangely since coming to my lodge. Had we known his grievance with Victor was so great, we never would have allowed him to represent us. Then you can do it alone, Wolf replied. I resigned my post. Wolf turned his back, not even giving his old friend a chance to speak. He simply couldn't look at him anymore. He knew the laws. A huntsman was a lifetime position. There was no resignation. Only death could release one from such responsibility. Wolf was no coward. Suicide was a weakling's path. Exile was the only other option. He would never take another contract. He stepped into Sokoros's cold embrace. It was like being held by the Keeper himself. In a way, it was almost poetic. He felt like he was with the dishonored dead, their cold, agonizing cries, like from the stories, mirroring his own heart. Chapter 4 The warmth of the room was relaxing, better than the stove and fireplace upstairs. The heat was spread more evenly, taking up the whole room. Idris soaked it in, keeping the shears steady as she took small clippings from the tea plants. The greenery, as she called it, like the rest of the house, was different from most Sikoran homes. Instead of three levels, it counted as a fourth, but dug deeper and at a sloping angle. Both the greenery and the ground level had been lined with pinewood planks and sealed in tar. There was a passage from the greenery to the ground level. Idra used a bookshelf to keep it concealed. During the summer, she and Frey would live on the ground floor. Frey's room had a path dug away from the main room. Idra's was further down. In the winter, when the snowfall was too heavy, they would live on the second floor. The ground level would be converted into storage. The main door was also sealed to keep it from flooding when the snow melted. If the winters grew too cold, she and Frey would often sleep in the greenery with the tea plants. Idra looked up at the sun orbs. They were over a decade old. Unlike their counterparts, the orbs emitted heat, not just light. Even for the north, their cost in silver was still overpriced. Idra looked up at the orbs. I should start looking for replacements soon. There were six of them, each mounted to the ceiling. In size, they were about the size of a frost giant's fist. She glanced at her daughter and smiled. Frey looked so happy tending the tea plants. They're growing so well, aren't they, Frey? Her daughter's face lit up. Frey's beautiful smile shone brighter than the sun orbs themselves. Jan will be happy. He said some of his plants died. Frey's smile faded, but only just a bit. Idra almost laughed. You have such a kind heart, Frey. Not many would mourn for a plant. I tried to tell him that he needed to wait a bit longer. Frey simply nodded and continued clipping some of the leaves. They did this every few days, trimming the bushes and baking the leaves. Their supply was fairly large, but it did make the village a good deal of profit with the traders. Idra looked about the room. Twelve long tables took up most of the room space, each with metal, dirt-lined pans spanning their length. There were a dozen tea plants in each pan, all of them mature. It had taken three long years for them to be ready. Mama, how come you know so much about plants? Idra's eyes drifted to the crate in the corner wrapped in chains. She thought about their contents and her life before. She thought of all the books she was forced to leave behind and the vast knowledge within their pages. Many of the tomes were old, written by the Aethar, the elves who once called this land home. Before the dark times, they flourished in Sokoros, though the land had a different name then. Idra's thoughts drifted further, to the life she had left behind, and toward the massacre of that night. Never again. I can't go through that again. Mama? Idra blinked and looked up. Yes, little one? You have that look again, Mama, like when you have the bad dreams. Idra paused, realizing she had almost clipped too much of the tea plant. It's nothing, little sprite. Frey frowned, placed her shears on the table, and walked over, hugging her. 
Will you ever tell me about it? She asked. Maybe it will make you feel better. Idra's eyes suddenly stung, and she held her daughter closer. Maybe one day, little sprite. She felt a tear wind its way down her cheek. When will that be? She asked. You always seem like you're looking somewhere else, like when Elder Sosa is having visions. Dear, Elder Sosa's visions are... Idra simply shook her head, laughed, and squeezed Frey tighter. She doesn't need to know where his visions come from. Sasa had taken up harvesting frost shrooms. He even figured out how to ferment them into ale. Mama? Frey asked, looking up. Confusion was written all over her face. Nothing, dear. Let's finish up and get these leaves prepared. The merchant will be here any day now. I promised them a good bit. Frey nodded and walked back to the table. Do you think they will have anything good for trade? Hopefully they will have plenty of thread this time. Sege promised me an entire roll, she replied. I can do a lot with the wool that Emil provides, but he only has so much to spare. Maybe we can trade for a sheep? Frey asked. Idris smiled. If we are lucky, a sheep might not survive the trip this far north. A broad smile crossed the daughter's face. Maybe we can trade Emil for one of his sheep, perhaps a newborn lamb. Idra laughed. You just want a pet, she winked. The look on her daughter's face confirmed her suspicions. You're a clever girl for your age, little sprite. Idra gathered the last bundle and placed them in a small sack. She then walked over to a smaller table and placed them with the other sack they had prepared. Frey, do you think you can prepare the leaves? Frey's eyes went wide. Do you really mean it? As long as you promise not to burn them this time. The look on Frey's face was priceless. I didn't burn them. She replied, pursing her lip. Idris smiled. Of course not, little sprite. Now, take the sacks upstairs and prepare the leaves like I showed you. Remember, each trade need only be heated for twenty minutes. Frey rolled her eyes. I know, Mama, I know. Well then, girl, hop to it. Idra watched her take the small sacks through the passage toward the main room. Will you still love me when you learn the truth, little sprite? She looked toward the chain grate. I hope I am ready when that day comes, she whispered. It was hardly what he expected. For a small village, Boudier was lively. There was probably about fifty Socorans living there, not counting children and the old. The homes looked very sturdy. Her influence was apparent. The stone wall around the village was just another sign. There was plenty of livestock, and pens were well insulated. There were even sheep, with some sort of blankets covering their bodies, and shoes for their feet. Bodvar took a long, hard look at the village. It seems all those stupid books you read, Idra, have served you well. I bet even the worst storm would knock these buildings down. Looks like she taught them how to work stone, Errol commented, pointing at the building foundations. Reminds me of the walls in Tofta. Tea trade in Sokros was always profitable, Bodvar said wryly. I'm disappointed in her, Harold. I thought she was smarter than this. Perhaps too smart for her own good. Errold replied. Bodvar nodded, his own dark smile mirroring Errold's. He turned to Eajar and sighed. <sighs> Something wrong, Eajar? Just trying to understand why we are here, he replied. Victor won't be happy about any detours. Victor can shove his ass on his dunghole. It was hard not to resist the urge to cut Eajar open. If not for us and the Blades, he'd just be another Thrawn scrambling for power. Army or not, any of us are better than two of his own men. 
Now, go take a look around. There should be a tavern here for traitors. Let us see if she's here. He couldn't shake the feeling in his stomach, no matter how hard he tried. Eajar reflexively put his hand on the hilt of the dagger at his hip. I should have never signed on. Butchers and murderers, that's all they are. Eajar began walking around the village as the others went their separate ways. Counting him, there were four others who had joined the Blades. He had been with them the longest. Bardvar, Arold, and Yolva stood waiting for them at the town gate. Yolva had tied the horses to an old post planted in the ground. I suppose this is better than facing the Inquisition in Absion, he mumbled. How far I've fallen. Two years on the run, all because of some petty official. It was said the Inquisition never made mistakes in their judgments, that their word was law. While they maintained order, the Senate still fought with them over the rule of law. Eajar simply sighed. Maybe Shereth or Shah should have been my country of choice. Eajar stopped, looking up at a large sign hanging over one of the buildings. Man's beard. How unoriginal. He started down the steps and opened the door, peering inside. The smell of spiced ale assaulted his nose, as did the inviting heat of a large hearth by the far wall. The heat hit his face like a mask, warming it against the cold. Don't be shy. Come in, friend. The man behind the counter was tall, about six feet give or take. He was stout like most Sikorans, his skin pale. Like most Sikoran men, he had a thick beard. His hair was dark, almost black. Well, in or out, he shouted. Takes time for the heat to warm the place. Ejar quickly stepped in and closed the door. He pulled his fur hood back and undid his heavy coat. The heat was a welcome respite. Even through his thick fur-lined gloves, the cold still bit his fingers. You can hang your coat on the wall there. No one will take it. The man behind the bar said, We pride ourselves on being an honest lot. A few of the other patrons nodded in agreement. I appreciate the hospitality, Eajar replied. The man smiled. That accent! You're Absonian! He laughed. What in the name of ice flows are you doing all the way up here? Travelling, Eajar replied, making his way to the bar. My friends and I have business this way. Ah, traitor then. He seemed more than happy to hear that. If only you knew who we were, you'd be terrified, friend. Eajar smiled. Sometimes. It depends on how kind the snow is. Indeed. Sometimes the snow is merciless. The bartender agreed. Well, our little town is a commodity not commonly found if you're interested. Oh? And what might that be? The bartender pulled a small jar from underneath the counter. Take it with for yourself. Ejar looked at the jar suspiciously, then glanced at the bartender. His eyes gave no hint of deception. He took the jar and lifted the lid. The smell of tea leaves filled his nostrils, but there was a hint of something else he couldn't place. Even so, it had a kick to it. You like? I can see the curiosity written on your face, the bartender said. How did you come by this so far north? Surely the conditions here make it impossible to grow. That's our trade secret, friend, the bartender replied. I guarantee you will not find a better quality product in all of Socoros. I'm inclined to agree. Eajar felt his stomach turn. Everything Bodvar had explained on the trip here was true. This Idra he spoke of had a talent for making things grow in the north. Tell me, do you know a woman by the name of Idra? No, I cannot say that I have, the bartender replied. No one by that name has come through here. Smart enough, at least. That's a shame, for one of my companions is a good friend of hers. We were separated a few days ago after the storm. I'm sorry, my friend, the bartender replied. 
But if your friend was in that storm, then I fear she may be dead. Ejar nodded. That was our fear too, but we still held hope. The bartender softly patted him on the shoulder. Tell your friends I will prepare rooms for them, he said. I don't have the heart. I don't have the heart to charge for shelter to anyone after losing someone in the snows. Ejar smiled. And the ale? The bartender laughed. Ale is another matter. I have to replenish my store somehow. Idra tried to breathe and to keep calm, but her mind was already racing. Fear enveloped her like a fur blanket, covering every part of her. How could I have been so stupid? Sigurd wasn't to blame. He had no idea, but the man asking him questions at the bar seemed to. He had to be one of Bodvar's blades. Why are you so far north? It wasn't the question she should be asking. The town was of no consequence to Victor. They didn't pay his taxes, and truthfully, he probably wasn't aware of his existence. Boudier was too small to make such taxes worth the effort. At least five years ago it was. If Victor were to tax him now, he might see his coffers increase, but only by a narrow margin. Maybe one of the merchants said something, and Victor sent Bodvar to look around. It would be foolish. The lack of taxes and men to enforce them were an incentive for traders and merchants. It gave them a trade advantage within the larger settlements. No, Idra, that's wishful thinking, she told herself. Looks like our time here may be at its end, little sprite. Alright, the story's getting good. Thanks guys for listening, and I just want to throw two quick things out there. First of all, uh, putting out this bonus content has been a blast. I love partnering with these indie authors, but it does take quite a bit of time and effort on, on my part for the recording and the editing. Um, so if you would like to help out and uh, make sure that more bonus content keeps being produced, and more just the regular content too, a great way to do that would just be to consider volunteering to edit the podcast. Now, if audio editing isn't something you've done before, I'd be happy to walk you through it if you'd be willing to volunteer. Um, if volunteering is not uh, something that you feel like you can do right now, another great way is to just click on support this podcast. That's just at anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks, and you just click on support this podcast. Anything that you can do to contribute toward the podcast is going to go toward me hiring somebody to help me edit the podcast so that I can produce more bonus content like this. So that'd be a great way to support the podcast. And if you can't do any of those, just go ahead and tell people about the podcast. As you spread the word to more people, uh, we get more advertising revenue, and that also is going to helping me upgrade the equipment, get you better sound quality, and um, hopefully hire an editor at some point. So all those, uh, any three of those ways is a great way to help. And that is the first thing, is just about producing more content. The second thing that I wanted to mention to you guys is that if you or somebody that you know is an indie author and be interested in having your content read on another world audiobooks i am definitely always looking for more partnerships with indie authors who are interested in spreading the word about their work so love to hear from you all the contact information is down below you guys know how to get a hold of me another world audiobooks at gmail.com or on any of the social medias so thanks so much for listening today guys we'll be uh, back tomorrow with some more bonus content so stay tuned for that thanks for listening All right. Thank you guys for, for bearing with me as I work feverishly to get you this new episode uh, from a new book uh, going. We'll have that next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks for your patience. Hope you guys enjoyed this little in-between-sode, as they say. Uh, and again, I want to just say thank you so much. I've gotten just this outpouring of support from uh, people on social media and also new sponsors to the show, as you heard at the beginning. Thank you guys again so much for that. It just 
yeah, you have no idea how much it means to me. It just makes me so happy. There's um, a lot of times I hear podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts, but I hear other podcast hosts and they're talking about how, you know, they heard from this fan and they got this letter and they all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, I want I want that. So now I have because you guys are just so awesome. In fact, I wanted to read this out, give a huge shout out to Erin, who's one of our new uh, supporters. She left a recommendation for Another World Audiobooks on Facebook, which is awesome because that's just uh, when people come to the Another World Facebook page and they see that it's been recommended by multiple people, it just makes you know them like, oh yeah, I definitely need to check this out. So thank you, Erin, for doing that. It, it took her you know, not, not very long, but it just means so much to see that. She said, best audiobooks for free, amazingly done, entertaining reading, and excellent voicing. And Erin sent me an email too and started supporting the podcast and yeah it just completely made my week so thank you so much Aaron for that and thank you to uh, Marissa and Etiosa I hope I'm pronouncing that right this time and also to John for supporting the podcast you guys rock and I couldn't be more excited to be jumping into this new book I think you guys are gonna love it like I said before uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah so stay tuned for that and if you have you know any ideas for the podcast or any indie authors that you'd like to recommend or just want to say hi I would love to hear from from you will definitely give you a shout out uh, on the podcast if you get in touch so thanks again guys so much for listening and we'll catch you next time when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply when i was in school i absolutely hated writing it wasn't until i was a bit older that i came to understand the power of words if you're a business owner you understand that power too a business blog when done right can drive sales increase revenue and get you more customers but as a business owner you probably don't have the time to do all that writing plus if you're not a copywriter by trade you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything the good news is there's a simple solution check it out i call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores this checklist will allow you to write better more effective articles that convert readers into buyers it's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist.